Coming up, how real estate investments funded a lifelong passion and minor league hockey team. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. If you're new here, we help service members and vets achieve financial freedom. We do that through a ton of free content, as well as the War Room Mastermind, which is the best military investing community in the world. And today's guest started his journey investing in 2014 with the VA loan. He house hacked a condo. Then he eventually upgraded to a four-unit house hack, utilizing the VA loan again. And then he joined us in the War Room. Now. About a year ago, Lucian and Dave Rafus met at the War Room event in Tampa. Dave's charity spoke to Lucian, so they decided to partner in one way or another. Now, Dave is actually the CEO of Lucian Perro's hockey team. And the San Diego Super Hornets are starting off their first season. Yeah, that's right. They started a minor league hockey team, which is fucking awesome. So I'm really excited about this episode. Dig in. I don't know anything about this industry. I didn't. Now I do. And you guys are going to enjoy the show. Have a great day. Lucian, welcome to the show, brother. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Dave. How are you? Thanks for having me, by the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. This will be uh, this will be a lot of fun. So we're going to dig further into all of this story and, and how you got to this point later on in the interview. But I always like to lead with kind of a, a more current big picture question. I, I'm, the, the overarching question is, how in the world did you get the confidence to launch a minor league hockey team? <laughs> That's a great question because a lot of people, when I told them what I was going to do, they told me I was fucking nuts. And <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm onto something here if you think I'm crazy, but you know, it takes, it takes a lot of, a lot of nerve to do it, especially, you know, I'm, I'm in Chicago and the team's in San Diego. But when you have, when you're super passionate about something, you try, you look past the, what the limitations that it having. So me being here in Chicago, I just looked past that. And the fact that I had already ran a team and, and had a somewhat of a foundation already based in San Diego, I felt, okay, even though I'm here, I still have the right support of where it's going to be happening. Almost like the same thing in real estate. You might be living in somewhere else, but you're investing out of state. As long as you have the right people in place, then everything should work out fine. And as long as you have the right systems and, and you have the right belief in what you're doing and you're passionate about it, then yeah, you should, you should be able to go, go forward with whatever, whatever it is you want to do. And I may or may not have forgotten to mention that the COO for the team, Dave Rafus is joining us as well on the interview. So Dave, thanks for hanging in. Thank you. All right. So let's kick it off. Um, you know, so before we jump into all the crazy hockey stuff, I'd love to get just a quick background on both of you, how you got into real estate investing and how you, um, well, well, we'll talk about how you met here in a minute, but I guess, um, like I know Lucian, you did, uh, some VA loans right off the bat and Dave, I know you've done some, you've owned some stuff as well. So I just love to hear kind of brief overview of how you guys got started and then we'll rock and roll. I'll, I'll, I'll go first really quick. So back in, Back in 2014, I was—I think I was in my fifth year in the Navy, and I was starting to become an adult, if you will. And I thought, 
I thought as an adult, it's time to buy a house. And I just started to figure out this process, started to look around in San Diego, found out about the VA loan and just was basically learning as I was going. And before you know it, I closed on my first condo, went through the whole, the, the Earl process multiple times, did a cash out refinance, then ended up selling the property to then eventually move from a condo in San Diego into a four unit when I moved here to Chicago. So now I'm into the multifamily space. And yeah, it basically all just started because I, I thought I'm supposed to buy a house now. That's what adults do. And I just figured it out as we all do in the military. We just figure it out. <laughs> Fitfo or whatever yep. you say. <laughs> all right. And then you own, what is it? Three that you've done with the VA loan now? Two, two, three? I've I've done two, but I've, I've literally done everything but a... Uh, what do you call it? Where you uh, you assume the loan? That's that's the only uh, thing I haven't. That's the only thing I haven't done with a VA loan at this point. I'm trying to do that right now, but that is a really long process. They're like, yeah, we're all in for it, but we need to close by the 15th of December. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen. They're like, oh yeah, yeah right. it's 30 days. I was like, yeah, the VA assumption takes like four months. So, like, good yeah, luck. that's a, that's a bit of a process. I've done some research on it. It's not it's not your typical closing. That's for sure. Yeah. And then Dave, what's your what's your background? How did you get to where we are today? Well, my wife and I were discussing one day that I needed to have a hobby, so I got into real estate. And I got my real estate license and found out that I was much better on the investing side than I was on the agent side. So we moved into investing. And here in Southern Arizona, one of our big things is mobile homes, tiny homes, stuff along that lines. So I started working with some local investors to help them fix their problems on mobile homes. And I would go in and help run the sites and make sure it got done. And then from there, the bug just kind of bit me and it grew. And I actually found the, the military to millionaire on YouTube started following you, which piqued my interest even more. And four months later, I joined that group and here we are. Here we are. Yeah, I guess I could probably go away, go ahead and mention that both of the guests today are, are members of the War Room. Um, sure so, am. And that's actually where they met was in Tampa this past yep. year. So, yes, it was. Uh, unless you guys knew each other before and I just had no idea. But uh, <laughs> all right. So and then I guess real quick, Dave, you want to tell us the brief, uh, brief your charity? I know. So. Dave sends me more Corgi videos than anybody ever. And they always <laughs> come told, through at the opportune time. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I feel bad because I'm like, I don't have time to watch them all. And so I won't always respond. And then sometimes I'm like laying around. I'm like, oh man, this is exactly what I needed. I'm like showing my kid the stupid little Corgi getting chased by a cop car. I'm like anyone who's listening who doesn't know, I have a Corgi and a Dachshund. So yeah, yeah very masculine dogs. Now, so basically my charity that I run or my nonprofit is called the One Veteran Foundation. And what we do is we find veterans that have been diagnosed with PTSD and help them to get a service dog at little to no cost to the veteran. And we've been doing it got nine years now. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been that long. But in that time frame, we've trained 45 service dogs. And we have not lost a single veteran due to a suicide since pairing them up with their teammate. Um, yeah, we've, we've had some pretty good success. We had one that went on and became a physician assistant. A number of them 
that became nurses, EMTs, paramedics. Um, we had one individual that took his dog to work and the CEO was so impressed, he created a national hiring program in his company for vets with service dogs. That's cool. Huh. I love it. All right. So we're going to dig into the fun stuff because I'm curious about some of this. So the San Diego Super Hornets, which is, you know, plastered all over both of y'all's bodies and backgrounds. So, <laughs> so if anyone couldn't figure out what the name of your hockey team was, uh, they're obviously just listening to it on audio. Um, so I guess the, my first question is just, it, it, Lucia, when did it become a dream? Like when, when did you have this idea? How did this, was this something you've always wanted to do or? This, this started. So I, I never went to college and played college hockey. And when I was, I, I moved to San Diego, I ended up finding like your, your normal men's league, you know, your rec leagues and whatever, and was playing that. And it just wasn't fulfilling the competitiveness that I never really got to get out of my system. So there was this team that I ended up finding. They were called the San Diego Skates, and I played on it, and they were playing full professional rules. They were playing in a legitimate league, and it was fun. We were going on the road. We are playing road games, and if anybody's a hockey player out there, you know the best time is when you go out on the road with the boys. So that, that was awesome. My first game with them was actually on a road game in Utah, uh, Salt Lake City. So I, I kept playing on that team, and the, the guy who owned it at the time, and he was also the coach, he was also the commissioner of the league, and he wanted to move out of the team functions, the team operations, and he wanted to focus more on the league. So he came to me and said, hey, would you be willing to run this team if I basically gifted it to you? I was like, well, what does that all entail? He's like, well, you know, I'll, I'll kind of help you out along the way. Well, he didn't really help me out. The guy disappeared and basically ran the league. So it was left up to me to basically, okay, not only am I playing hockey, because when I first took it over, I was the head coach. I was the general manager. I was technically the owner. I was the captain of the team. And it was, I mean, I was wearing every single hat you could think of. It was driving me nuts. But the fact that I was still playing, that's what really kept me driving through. I was like, okay, I got I to gotta figure this out. And then I started to bring people in. I eventually brought in a coach, uh, started to try and push out the different jobs to other people to help me with the schedule, you know, getting referees, all that stuff. And then right before that first team ended, it started to turn into this business. I remember after one of our home games, we actually had about 300 fans show up. And all of a sudden there was – there was cash in my hand. I was like, I, I think we're onto something here. This is, this is now turned into more than hockey. And then COVID happened, which really screwed over the whole thing. Uh, that's when I took the orders to come up here and do the drill instructor duty. But then people kept pestering me, hey, are we going to start up a new one? Are we going to do this again? And I said, well, if we're going to do it again, we're going to completely rebrand it. We're going to start from scratch. So that's when I came up with the, uh, the Super Hornets. And I found the new league, which was basically the, the teams from the old league. They just restarted a brand new league because the old one folded because that commissioner just fell off the map. Um, and that's that's how it all started. It was just a passion to keep playing at a higher level because the men's league stuff just wasn't doing it for me. And there was there was plenty of other people other than just myself who wanted that higher level. So it started to attract more people, and obviously San Diego has its own draw by itself. So people wanted to be out in San Diego. 
other teams around the league, they want to come down to San Diego. So it's like, well, I think we have a decent business that just happens to be wrapped around the thing that I love the most, which is the game of hockey. Yeah. Although I would say most people don't go to San Diego for ice, but you know, no. <laughs> it has yeah. it has some perks. We actually yeah. have a pretty decent ice rink or two, well, two ice rinks in the same building here in uh, Springfield that I just found. I guess all the colleges use them. So pretty nice rinks uh not that i'm talented enough to be worth i mean i took my kid well, ice maybe we should get you out in the ice there I, oh, I'll, I'll take you out for some yeah. free lessons there you go yeah i've been trying to learn how to hockey stuff um oh i'll, I'll teach you no problem yeah i'm i'm okay other than that but uh i played rugby so you know i feel hockey hockey would be it's kind of the same thing except you have traction yeah. um <laughs> all right so i'm curious talk to me about some of the financial uh challenges or like how it works you know i mean i don't know is ticket sales your biggest revenue source is it alcohol at the venue like how merch i mean how does i'm I'm, i don't understand this business and i'm really curious well we obviously we we sell tickets and we're we're very brand new so getting that we're we're not packing the stadium but we are getting a, a decent draw especially for a brand new team i mean our first weekend we were able to get 700 fans through the door between two games Damn. So that that was that was pretty good. Our goal was 500, and we we absolutely crushed the goal. Uh, but most of this stuff, most of your financial, well, like where you make the money, is trying to get sponsorships. Like who's going to sponsor the team? And then so Dave and I we put together a sponsorship package to present to different businesses. Be like, hey, this is the levels that we have. This is the money that we're asking for, and this is what you get in return. Now, the more sponsors you get, obviously, the more money, and then. Then you stack on top of that the ticket sales. Then you stack on top of that the merchandise. We put together a store. We're selling all the different stuff. Um, when it comes to the alcohol and, and all that, all those sales, we, we do have in place with our current sponsor where we get 30% of the revenue. So you have that in place too. So that's another way to, to make money. And then off of, then within the game, all the different the different things that you can do, whether it's you're doing a raffle, whether it's you're selling the, you know, you're selling the merchandise at the game, all the different little things that you can sell within the game itself. Those are your different revenue streams. And then obviously you want to do some fundraisers here and there to try and raise some funds and that, you know, whatever the case may be, whether it's a, a certain event that you're going to and you're just, people are just buying a ticket to that event. It's, there's all, there's a lot of different things, but the biggest part is the sponsorships for sure. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Um, sponsorships, tickets. I mean, and tickets, you know, that'll grow over time, right? Right. And then, yeah. and then ironically, I guess you'd probably be able to charge more for sponsorships as the tickets come in. So it's like, yes. A- like once, once we start, once we start getting in a decent amount of fans to each game, I would say, consistently drawing 500 plus then you can start increasing the t- the ticket price as well so we're only at about ten dollars right now 15 at the door if you choose not to buy the ticket and as as time goes on and we start drawing a more a bigger fan base because we just we just went over a thousand instagram followers so we're getting a decent draw but once they start showing up then you know the old supply and demand you start raising the price if your if your demand is good enough because we only can get twelve hundred people in there at a time, but if you get enough people to consistently show up, you can start raising the price. I know that the Reno Ice Raiders they charge 
thirty bucks a ticket for their game, and that's it. It's, that's just admission into the game, and they're getting about five thousand people to their games. So wow. you do the simple math: five thousand times thirty. I mean, that's that's a pretty good take home right there, game, yeah. and that's not even taking into consideration the amount of sponsors that they have as well. Yeah. Wow, that's solid. I was I was gonna say you just got a new follower, but then I went and realized I'm already following you. So I did not help your Instagram account at all. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for following. <laughs> well, that, that's okay. We can have everybody in the war room join up and follow. There you go. Everybody listening to this, go follow if you're in the San Diego area and you want to support some vets running the hockey team because that's baller. Uh, all right. So, Dave, and and really, I guess both of you, but the, the, I know you're you're working as COO right now, correct? Yes. So this might be more geared towards you, but it can probably go towards both. My, my question was essentially, you know, talk to me about the management side. Like I know neither of you lives in San Diego no. at the moment. Um, so no. how in the world do you go about things like selecting players, selecting a coach or, or management in general? Like that's got to have its own challenges. Well, basically like when I came on to take over the COO role, basically we already had our coaches in play and the coaches are the ones that pick the players. And by letting them, staying out of their way and letting them do their job, we're building a really strong, solid team that we're going to be able to move forward to. Um, a lot of our players are still in the military or served in the military because we want it to be a military-based style team. We're not going to limit it to just military players, but we're, we want it to have a strong military feel because all of us that have served know that, that it's, it's really great when you can get together with your family and your friends and go out and have a nice night and have a fun time and not have to take out a mortgage on the house to do it. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to pull in as many sponsors as we can to be able to keep those ticket prices affordable so that they can come out and have a good time. Um, my job basically is I'm the, I'm the behind the scenes guy, so to speak. I'm the one that makes sure the players contracts are done. The insurance is taken care of, um, make sure we have our team code of conducts, waivers, all the stuff that needs to be done for us legally. Um, I'm the one that makes sure everybody signs all the paperwork, dots, all the I's, crosses all the T's. Um, Lucian's got enough stuff going on with the hockey and the players and teaching me the language of hockey because apparently I need to learn that. So they sent me a hockey dictionary so that I can learn the language um, and communicate better with the players and the coaches. <laughs> that's a, that's a management challenge I didn't even think about, but yeah, it's a yeah yeah because it's like different every language. career field has its own language. Like like. Real estate, you got to learn to talk a certain way when dealing with other real estate people. Well, same thing goes for hockey, where they have terms and, and phrases that are very benign, but they mean something in hockey. So by, by them teaching me that and me going back and forth to San Diego a couple times a month, um, it, it helps to make a stronger team and the team knows that Lucian and I are there for them and that we'll stand up for them and we will help them to move forward. Does hockey have ridiculous words and terms like rugby? So like in rugby, there's one of the players, one of the Similar. main players is known as a hooker. 
Yes. Well, you know, we, we've got like our forwards, our defensive men, our goalies. Um, then you got a pest and the goons and stuff like that. But it's it's all relative. And so to speak, it's like everybody's a player. Some get nicknamed, some don't, that type of thing. Yeah. Makes sense. Is anything you want to add on the management side there? A lot of – so when Dave took over, it was just – uh, some of the stuff, most of the stuff had already been kind of put in place and I just needed someone to keep pushing it forward. And we already, we had already had tryouts and the, a bunch of the players were already there. I was just trying to get, it's basically like herding cattle. It's just thinking like, Hey, we have this hockey player. Sometimes we're, we're not, we're not that smart when it comes to certain things. You know, we've had our head, our bell rung a few times. I was, was going to make that so, joke, but thank you for you know, yeah, I've, I've had my bell rung a few times, so I'm not, not going to try and hide that. So if, you know, if I start dazing off, you know, maybe the concussions are making their way back. But uh, Dave was really helping me with making sure the players were just getting all the, all the proper uh, paperwork signed and then obviously making sure that – because there's also a bunch of stuff that happens within the game. Where you got to have the front door set up, you got to have the the sponsors got to be set up. You got to make sure that the DJ and the PA announcer is all good to go. Uh, if you're going to have like ice girls, you know, making sure they know what they're doing. So there's a lot of intricate things that are happening within. He's mostly helping me making sure that all that stuff is is set up, and then I can more focus on because I'm very heavy on the, the the hockey side and the the social media side. Um, and also talking with the league, that's, that's where, because you know, my hockey sense kicks in a little bit more for that to understanding what's going on. Dave just, Dave's really good at, like, he, he has a lot more business background than I do. So he's been really helping me on the, just the business specific stuff. So I can focus more on the division and where we're going with this and, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies type things and, and kind of working with the league as we move forward. I like it. What's the, uh, what's the long-term vision? What do you, where do you guys see this thing going? This thing is going to become a minor league hockey team, like official. So right now you could, you could say that we're almost there, but what we're trying to do is so the league there there's, it's like a bunch of independent teams playing underneath this thing called the league. The league isn't officially structured with the right bylaws, the, the certain documents, the governor, everything. The commissioner doesn't necessarily have the power he needs to to efficiently rule the the league. So we have to move in that direction, and that's trying to get all the teams on the same page. My goal is to eventually have this league, including the Super Hornets, to be running at the equivalent level of the SPHL, which is the Southern Professional Hockey League. If you want to, to make it easier on people who don't know what that is, you can easily relate that to like single-A baseball, so entry-level minor leagues. And what we're trying to do, uh, Dave's been reaching out to already uh, higher-up minor league teams, is we're trying to get associated with a next-level-up minor league team to then create a path forward for players eventually. Mm-hmm. Is I've already got players reaching out for me from across the country. I just had a kid reach out to me from Michigan. He wants to move out to San Diego, wants to play for us. And that was just the other day, not on top of all the other players. One of actually one of our current players, he lives in Boston and wanted to fly out to come play for us because San Diego already has that draw. I've had people from Northern California call us, be like, hey, 
are you still accepting new players? So there, there's a there's a definitely draw there just because of the location, the fact there is a hockey team, and what we're doing with trying to move it into that that minor league space. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I did, you know, I didn't ask in the management side. Uh, I meant to. Um, I know you guys were looking for a rink for a long time. Like there were some issues there. What is it like? What does it look like to rent a rink? Like, or is it like I, I don't understand? Like, I mean, I know how it works with like a is it like a triple net type lease, or do you get like a space per game? Or so the the way that works is you first of all you got to find a rink that has the ability to host the type of event you're, you're trying to have. So the the only rink currently that's not like a, a big time arena that we can play out of is the one that we are playing out of the San Diego ice arena. And they have stands and they, they have the ability to host about 1200 plus people in there. So you're really looking for something that has capacity for the amount of fans that you're looking to draw. That's the first thing. The next thing is you have to have a schedule and you have to work with them. Now, most of these rinks, they have long-term, they've been around for a while, so they have long-term relationships with, with existing customers. And that's already in place, and that's basically guaranteed money for them. This rink that we're working with, they already have everything set up where they're, they're, they get the income that they need from these, play, from these existing customers. So when someone like us comes in as this brand new, this brand new business or idea that's coming in, what they have to do is they have to take away ice time and then give it to us. And unfortunately, that that's kind of not playing in our favor. But since we've already proved that we can make this work, it's a proof of concept, uh, they're starting to work with us more. And moving forward, what we want to do is sign a contract that has like a three to five year uh, con- or um uh, if you want to call it a lease on it, where we get certain amount of game time and all that good stuff, uh, that's what we're working towards. Dave, you want to touch on that? Yeah, take it. Like I said, we've got right now this this arena, and they've been working with us to host our home games. Um, hopefully, one day we're going to be able to build and buy buy or build our own arena, so that that'll give us a permanent home. And right now, SDIA has been helping us with hosting our first couple sets of games. And then we're soon going to be going on the road when we come back into San Diego for our host games. Hopefully we're going to be able to get this arena back. Otherwise we need to be looking into other options. But right now this arena is probably the best fit that we have for our team. All right. So if you're watching this on video, you probably noticed that I changed shirts, Lucian shaved his mustache and my setup is now where I'm going to look down here to talk to them instead of at the camera. That's just because I had a fun snafu like two weeks ago where the internet cut out, would not let me back in. And I didn't realize that I could record on this very same app from my cell phone, which I do know now. So next time that happens, I will just switch to phone and pull it up. However, we're going to finish out this episode. <laughs> we were almost done with it. And so we're going to just pick up right where we left off where uh, I've got the next question in here. And so really, so we're talking about the hockey team. And my next question on the list was, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've run into so far launching this bad boy? Oh, man, Dave, you want to start on that? Oh, goodness. Some of the biggest challenges we've run into is there is not a lot of ice in Southern California. 
Um, you don't I say. say yeah, I think I that's part of the appeal. Um, we we currently have a temporary deal with our, our arena where we've been able to play some of our home games, and we are going to try and get into contract negotiations with them to set up for next year. And because we are looking for sponsors, it does make it difficult when they say, where's your home rank? And you can say, well, we're temporarily working with this arena when we're trying to make that a more permanent situation. And if we can make that a more permanent situation, then we're golden. Then we're going to be able to start pulling in more sponsors. We're going to be able to start doing more and create a bigger fan base. Um, in the short time that we've been doing this, we have the capacity for roughly 1,200 people to come into the arena. And I think our first game that first night, we pulled like 450, 550 people on our very first game that we weren't really expecting that many because we are new. We're building a brand. We're building um, a relationship with the community. And the rink owner or the rink manager noticed that we are able to put people in there. And so now they're tentatively offering up some more dates that we may be able to schedule some more games before the end of this season. So I would say the biggest challenge is there's not a lot of ice in San Diego. Yeah, it's odd to me that, like you, you say that, and it, it's fun to joke and be like, ah, ha, ha, ha. But like even here in Springfield, which is not a huge uh, market, like we have a few colleges, and so there are two, it's one facility that has two full-size hockey rinks with stands where they could, you could have two simultaneous college level hockey games going. Um, yeah. Now, granted, they don't hold 1200 people, but like when you say not a lot of ice, I'm like, that is odd. Cause even here we have plenty of ice to skate on. You have about three, two, three million people in the San Diego proper area, and you only currently have five sheets of ice to work with. They had, they had back back before COVID, they had a rink up in Escondido. They had two sheets of ice, but when COVID happened, there apparently their books weren't run very well. Then COVID just absolutely killed them. Mm. They weren't able to survive. We lost those two rinks. When we lost those two sheets of ice, what was going on there didn't just disappear. So yeah. all the programs, the youth programs, the men's league, everything that was happening there had to be absorbed somewhere else. So the other five rinks took everything on. So not only were we dealing with a new business comes in and they say, hey, we want, we want this stuff. But you only have a limited amount of stuff. And you already have people buying this stuff. So now you have to take that stuff away from the people who are already buying it to then give to the new people who you don't know who are going to, how long are they going to be around? And then if they don't last, then you're going to go back to that person that you pissed off and say, hey, can you? are you willing to buy this again even though you took it away from them? So the rink was kind of juggling that act. Yeah. The only thing that I really had going for me at the beginning when I started this before Dave came on was I ran the team prior to COVID. I had a different team going on, and I had already built somewhat of a rapport with that rink. So they were willing They were willing to kind of work with us, but they were giving us limited options. 
So the first weekend that we had our games, it was it was Halloween weekend. That was a hard one to try and get people in the door because especially that the Friday night wasn't as hard as you, uh, Dave said. We got about four four to five hundred people through the door. The Saturday night was the more difficult one because that was was when all the Halloween festivities were going on. That was really hard to compete with. And then the next set of home games they gave us were over the Thanksgiving weekend. So that was difficult too. But we had to take what we could get and just try and make it work. So the the lack of ice is, is a problem, yes. Uh, I would say also when starting this up, it's trying to get the players to believe in what you're going to do. Yeah. And in order to get them to sign up for something, at first uh, – be- before we're at where we're now, I, I had a I had a prior business partner, and he wanted to charge a hundred dollars for the tryouts, and I wasn't for that because we didn't really have a rapport with anybody. It's like how why is me as an, a player want to come up show up to your tryout, and I don't even know what the hell this is, and then give you a hundred dollars? I, I don't know. So we we didn't have very many people show up to tryouts. So I'll. Once after he decided to exit the business, then I, I went with the only thing that made sense to me was uh, we we, estab- we we set up a training camp and I said, this is free. We have two on ice sessions and we have a dry land session. It's all free. Just show up. And then I had to give like a speech and all that stuff and really get everybody fired up. So once everyone walked through the door and they knew it was free, and they saw what we were doing, and I could explain it, and they saw that there was actual coaches, and we had this, there was a real thing here. Now they're really bought in. And then we just had to generate more content. We had to get attention. But before then, I mean, we didn't really have anything. I mean, the Instagram was basically blank. I was making shit up out of thin air, yeah. uh, trying to trying to grab attention as much as I could. That was the most difficult part. Uh, fortunately, I ran too many reels that were pretty repetitive, but I didn't really have a choice because I just wanted to keep everyone's attention. So trying to get somebody to buy into something that, that has no history, that's really, that is also difficult. So we're fighting with the lack of ice. We're fighting with the fact that we we're brand new. Uh, nobody really knew what this was. The league changed names. There was, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on. The funding, we could talk about that too. It's all it's the vast majority of it's come out of my pocket. Now Dave has spent some of this stuff out of his pocket. We're pretty invested in this at this point, but yeah, you know, we're we're piecing it together, and now we're starting to generate that. Okay, this is a real thing. People are taking it serious. People are paying attention. We have our team. I mean, I can tell when you go on the road in this league, bringing players on the road is difficult. We are about to take our first road series. In the next, on December 15th, we're hitting the road for Reno. We're bringing 24 players on the road. I have never brought that many people on the road, even with the last team. These players are bought into what we're doing. They love it. People love this logo. They love what we stand for. So this is really catching. And this, the team that we're about to play is one of the premier teams in the league. So if we show up against them, with a legitimate and then they they have their whole live streaming setup so the the rest of the league will be able to watch from a legitimate view it's almost like they have their they have their own tv channel almost and they're going to see that our bench is full and there's five guys on the ice 
That right there speaks volumes. This team travels. This is a legit squad. So we're we're definitely we got over the hump of the players. We're starting to figure out the ice time because then the other part is we're, we're piecing together practices and all that stuff. But it's all starting to slowly come together. We basically solidified a practice every Sunday morning as long as we didn't play a game that weekend. So we're really we're we're starting to lock it in. I love that. And it's worth noting that since we started this recording a couple weeks ago, you guys swept a tournament uh, yes. last week. We, so. we played the Sin City Kings, who are obviously from Las Vegas, hence the name Sin City. Uh, we beat them 5-1 to one in the first game, pretty a pretty good beat down. And the first game or the second game, we jumped out to a nice 3 nothing lead, and I thought we were going to absolutely crush them. But then we decided to make the game very interesting for the fans. They tied it at three. We went up four three. They tied it at four. We went up five four. They tied it at five. And then we scored with less than three minutes left in the third period to take the lead and we held on to it. Awesome. I love it. All right. What's the uh, talk to me about? Uh, I mean, it is fairly new, but I'm curious what the most rewarding piece of building this thing out is so far. You know, for, for me, the most rewarding part is to see those players is be excited that they get to play at a higher level than just your, your basic men's league, or as we like to call it beer league, where guys just show up on a random Tuesday or Thursday night to get away from their family, to just have a couple beers in the locker room, go skate around for an hour. Maybe they win, maybe they don't, but this is like, this is legitimate hockey this is pro style hockey it is a battle on the ice it it matters it truly does matter and these guys love it and they are very thankful i mean i even though we got even though our first home series we lost both games every player came up to me well maybe not every but damn near almost every player came up to me and said you know lucian thank you so much for doing this that was such an awesome thing to be a part of you know with the fans in the stands the DJ doing the music, the all the lights, just everything that was involved. We had the we had we had uh, the fog machine going when they went onto the ice. Like we had a whole we had a whole spectacle going, and they just loved every second of it. And that really solidified their buying. They're like, "This is a cool thing. I want to be a part of." So just to see that you get, I mean, all this is we're we're men at this point in in our life, but the the little boy never goes away. So to be able to let that little boy have it still live and have its opportunity to, to live out a dream, and you never have to really kill the dream, to be able to still live that out to a certain extent, that means a lot to me, and it means a lot to them too. And it, I, there's, I know there's many other players out there that want to still have that opportunity. So if, if myself and Dave can provide that opportunity for more players to, to still hold on to that dream for as long as possible, we're here. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, the big, the big thing was getting to work with professionals at this level. Um, our two coaches we have, I think are superior to all the other ones that I've come across so far. They're, the level of desire and drive that these players have, you know, it's, it's probably fair to say I'm the oldest person in the group there, but it was like being around them. It just kind of, rejuvenates my childhood youth in the aspects that I get very excited at these games. Lucian can probably tell you that I get a little, 
animated. Is he? Is he uh, gonna tell fans. Dave? I gotta tell Dave to calm down every now and then. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I, I've. I'm learning the language of hockey because I wasn't raised with that language, but it's it's been very enlightening for me to see these guys that come in that come from all these different backgrounds and form together as a team on the ice. Whether they like each other, whether they don't like each other, but I can honestly tell you it seems like everybody in our group likes each other. And they played together as a team and they are gelling, and every time they step on the ice, they get just that much better. And by the time these games come around, we're going to be able to give the fans a, a really good quality family night out, enjoying a hockey game and spending time together. And, you know, knowing that we're promoting and helping others in the military and military-based charities has been extremely re- rewarding for me. Love it. That's awesome. All right. So the only other question I had written down here, uh, not quite so timely and definitely not on the same, same vein, but at the time that we originally started this recording and I was trying to think of questions, uh, there was an incident that was all over the news. And I'm curious if either of you has thoughts on the, uh, the Adam Johnson issue and then the manslaughter. I mean, that's a kind of a crazy, uh, from a, from an outsider who doesn't watch hockey. Well, as much as I, should i guess um and like that's can, the first yeah. time i've seen that i know it happens but yeah and that's that's uh i don't know if that if that affects anything with what you guys are doing or if there's been any ripple effect of that but i just figured i'd bring it up uh well first i'll say freak accidents happen in everything yes absolutely but i watched that video a hundred times and the way that the contact was made with the guy who ended up uh, kicking uh, Adam in the in the throat, that that reaction was not a, a body that just happened to just go flailing and the leg came up. His leg came up so high unnaturally and then kicked out right at the same time Adam was going by him. Now, I don't know what kind of background was there, if there was some sort of beef between the two or what the case may be. But to me, for someone who's been around hockey for 30 years, that did not look like a natural thing to me. Now, do I think his intent was to kill the guy? No, I don't think that was his intent. If there was malicious intent involved, do I think he was trying to do something? Yeah, I believe so, because I've never seen anything like that before in that in that motion. And I'll give a little plug on myself. I have wrecked people on the ice, absolutely wrecked them. (laughs) And nobody's feet has ever come flying up like that at no point. I've sent people flying into the box before or into the bench and no one's feet came up in in such a way that their body just naturally just like you would get blown up in a football game. There was no kicking motion. There was none of that stuff. I almost related it to if anybody watching this is a, a basketball fan, when when Draymond Green got kicked out of the uh, the playoffs the one year when he he got pushed and he just randomly flailed his leg and kicked, I think who did he he kicked somebody right right in the junk, and that it was blatantly obvious that even though he tried to play it off like he was falling, he kicked. As soon as that kicking motion comes into play, it's it's not natural. But, the, yeah, there was already calls for people to start wearing neck guards more often now. 
Um, they, there was a little bit of an overreaction because I saw it in a lot of comments on social media of people saying we need to make neck guards mandatory, this, that, and the other thing. And it's a, it's a hard argument when somebody dies to be on the other side of it, be like, hold on, I think we're overreacting because everyone's feelings get involved. But that type of thing does not happen often at all. Yeah. I've there there's I think over the course of since I've been paying attention to hockey, I think this might have happened um I could count it on one hand. This has not happened often and, and usually when it does happen it's it's lower on the ice because someone's head was down towards the ice or the goalie was down on the ice and the player came crashing into them. Stuff like that. This this does not happen often. Now, if players want to wear a neck guard, I mean, by all means, wear a neck guard. It's it's your choice. Put put one on if that makes you feel better. But to mandate all this stuff, I don't. I think that's, I think that's a little high and right for everybody. If you don't want to wear it, you don't want to wear it. Before you know it, they're going to be out there in bubble wrap. <laughs> that's like the uh, mass punishment, knee jerk mass punishment that the military is a huge fan of. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, almost, I'm part of that still. Yeah, it almost <laughs> it almost made me think of. My last my last duty station, I was a movement control center chief. So I, any trucks or buses or gear or cargo or or people that moved on the west coast came through my office, and we had a day where we're notoriously late with buses because people don't get on the buses or the buses do are late or like there's always something. So like with a flight, you know, we're like okay, if we have a flight window, we got to get the damn buses there, depending on which airport anywhere from four to seven hours early just to be safe. And so we yeah. had this one time we got, they got there five hours early and they were only supposed to be there four hours early to this March air force base. And they got there so early that, you know, it's the air force. They weren't open yet. Um, the, it's not a 24 seven terminal and right. uh, two like Lance corporals or a Lance corporal and a corporal were like, I'm sure they were told to do this. I don't know. That basically they figured out, hey, wait a minute, if we hop the fence here, I bet you one of the doors to the actual terminal is unlocked from the inside. And so that's what they did. They hopped the barbed wire. I think it was barbed wire. They hopped the fence. They go in the airstrip. Air, air they go in the terminal. Sure enough, one of the doors is unlocked. So then they let everybody in. So the Air Force shows up and there's like an entire infantry battalion of Marines feet up, gear in, chilling in the seats. And the Air Force is like, how the hell did you get in here? And it became this whole thing. And the oh, instant knee-jerk reaction was basically we got told we now need to go on site whenever buses for that airport are loading and we need to stand there and go, you're not allowed to leave yet. You can't be there before four hours. So hang on. And so I was like, really? The <laughs> knee-jerk reaction here from the military is do not allow our Marines to be early. We're, we're always late, but heaven forbid. <laughs> and I was like, that lasted all of like, Maybe one day it was like, yeah, oh no. Hey, don't be there early. And if you do, it, I was like, this isn't the conversation that needs to happen. The conversation that needs to happen is, hey, dumbasses, don't break into the fucking airstrip. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. a pretty simple solution. Um, there's a fence There's a fence there for a reason. <laughs> don't hop the fence into a military compound and let what yourself is- into the federal buildings. This yeah, is right. part of the obstacle course. That's all you got to get over the fence. It's it's yeah. a new version of the obstacle course. I remember that ass chewing so much. I I will never forget standing there and being like, at the end of it, I'm just like, 
just to make sure I got this right, we're in trouble for being early and like 15 prior. Like that's okay. All right. Just making sure. Yeah. We're, all right. Cool. I'll, <laughs> I'll be late to everything. And they were like, that's not oh, what we're fine. saying. I'm like, ah, <laughs> that's, what I'm t- that's how I'm taking it. Yeah. Like, oh, man. All right. So let's see here. That was all the official. Oh, no, that wasn't all the official questions. Of course, silly Dave. I got the debrief down here. All right. Got a few questions we ask everyone. Um, And given that we've already been recording for a moment over the last two days, I'll try to keep them kind of quick. So for each of you, what's the dumbest thing you've ever purchased? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) A... 2016 Yamaha R1. Ooh, that's a good choice. Those are fun. Financed the whole thing and thought I was the coolest guy on planet Earth. And then all of a sudden they slapped me with the insurance bill and said I could only ride it a thousand miles a year because that's all they could cover me for. <laughs> Damn. Well, I did not keep it under a thousand miles. I can tell you that. <laughs> Yo, that's like. Three weekend trips and you're well. Oops. Yeah, they said if I went, if I wanted coverage for over a thousand miles, it was going to cost me about five hundred bucks a month, and I was at two hundred. I was like, well, we'll just say it's a thousand bucks, a thousand miles. Well, yeah, we'll go with that. His, his Google search was how to roll odometer back on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Dave? Step one. Oh gosh, I've had so many. Um, <laughs> the stupidest thing I've ever purchased was probably my first house when I was in the Marine Corps because I bought it and I had it put on Paris Island and got divorced and left it on Paris Island. So yeah, that was probably the stupidest thing I've ever done instead of my first experience in real estate being a positive one. It was, hey, I'm gonna buy this single wide and I'm gonna put it on the base because it's safer and it's cheaper. Yeah, no. No, it wasn't. So that was I love the way you worded that. And I had it put on. I was like obviously this guy bought something that moves as his first house. Um I was a corporal in the Marine Corps that didn't have the brain God gave a goat and said, Hey, this is a really good deal. It'll be a nice place for my wife and kid. Where better to live? than on base where it's safe. So they put it on a lot on Paris Island, living directly in front of a Sergeant Major who was one of my neighbors and a Marine Sergeant MP as my other neighbor. What could possibly go wrong? Beautiful. So yeah, it (laughs) it was not one of my brighter ideas in life that I had. Well, so, what about your smartest purchase? Oh, geez. I'll let you go with that one, Lucian. <laughs> my smartest purchase was my first home that I bought. So I did, bought. Did you have to move your home into the Sergeant Major's backyard or was that? <laughs> no, nah, I didn't have to do that. It was uh, it was located in a very nice area of San Diego with a ocean view uh, just outside of Pacific Beach. Oh, nice. uh, just on the other side of the five, so I had easy access to the five. Uh, I could get straight to work. On the R1, I could get to work in about three minutes. 
but yeah, uh, that was definitely by far the, the best purchase. I bought it in 2014. So the market had already bottomed out and it started to just figure itself, started to figure itself. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm not going to be like, yeah, I was a genius. I bought it right at the right time and I rode the wave all the way up. I didn't, I didn't have a clue. I just like, <laughs> I was just, I think I'm supposed to buy something. So I managed to buy that and it worked out great. And if it wasn't for that, using the VA loan, by the way, all this hockey stuff wouldn't have been a thing. Yeah. I like that. Figures out, Dave? Oh, yeah, but it's going to sound like I'm sucking up, but I'm really not. <laughs> but I would have to say one of the smartest things I bought was my membership to the War Room. You know, like I said, it sounds like I'm sucking up, but I'm really not. And I'll explain we'll why. Is because I had joined another mastermind group before. And I got horribly burned and it really burned me on real estate. So when I was out having a whole bunch of my surgeries done on my back and stuff to get that to work, I started watching you on YouTube and Sorry. you plugging the war room. And I saw, I saw you with Ryan Dossie and he was another person that I followed. So I followed you for about four months before I started interacting with people in the war room or the military to millionaire site. And then that led me to get into the squad that I'm in, which I like. Um, and then going to Tampa, Tampa Bay was a make or break moment for me in my real estate career and what I wanted to do. And then by going to Tampa, I met this guy that had the dream of owning a hockey team. It was really weird how it worked out, but we started talking about my foundation. We both found out we had a lot in common with dogs and veterans and, and hockey where he plays it and I like watching it. So it, it worked out really well. So the best purchase I've made has elevated my life was the war room purchase. And, I, and like I said, I'm not saying that because I'm on here, but I'm saying oh, that no, because it's factual. I will, I will accept it. I appreciate yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying it's because it's factual. Because, like I said, when I went to Tampa Bay, I was exposed to stuff that I was not normally exposed to, where the quality of the individuals that we met in Tampa were such a significantly higher quality of individual. You know, when you go to a lot of meet and or not meet and greets, but like, oh, what's the word? Seminars, symposium. Everybody's there dressed up. They're all trying to, to like make you think there's something that they may or may not be. And when we went to Tampa, I mean, yeah, there were people that were dressed up nice, but it was like you had people that have high level degrees are high level in the military, low level in the military, whether they're a private or they're an admiral, it was irrelevant. Everybody was the same. Yep. You know, you got people walking around with flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts making seven, eight figures a year and they care less about their appearance as they do the quality of the information that they're able to help you with. Yeah, it's a good good group of people. It, it was right. totally amazing. Speaking of, I've got two minutes till I got to hop into the new member onboarding and bring on a whole bunch of newbies and tell them how to find their way around our wonderful systems. And so I'm excited about that. But we've got that means we've only got like two minutes to say, hey, where can people find out more information about you guys? And then Dave, plug your please plug your your charity as well. I'll let. Well, if you go on if you go on Instagram, you can find our team page at, at SD Super Hornets. 
That's SD like San Diego. Uh, you can also go on Facebook, SD Super Hornets. And then me, I'm on Instagram, at Lucian Perot, the way my name's spelled exactly. Just type it out and I'll pop up. Uh, yeah, the web, the website for sure, and then the, the Instagrams, absolutely. Beautiful. We'll make sure we link to that down below. And Dave? Um, basically, my charity is the One Veteran Foundation. They can go to the one, the number one, veteranfoundation.org, and that will give them a link to our website. Um, we help out veterans with PTSD get service dogs at little to no cost to the veterans. Um, when we started this back in 2015, we did it on a wing and a prayer. And we do everything through donations, through our webpage, and through community events. And we've been able to train 45-plus service dogs without the loss of a single life. So that's something that we're pretty proud of. And we've linked up with the Super Hornets. This was done before I became the COO of the Super Hornets. But it's it's a way to help out our vets that have put so much on the line for us. You know, when people talk about 22 vets a day, they don't realize that 22 vets a day is over 8,000 a year that take their own life. And if, if we can provide a service dog for them, at little to no cost to them, and it helps move them back to normal life, it's well worth every penny we spend on it. I agree. So, yeah, like I said, so if they want to check us out, we're on we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram um, at the One Veteran Foundation. They can check out our webpage at OneVeteranFoundation.org. Love it. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today and two weeks ago. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. All right. This was awesome, and thank you very much for having us. This was this was great. Yes, absolutely. We we appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Have a good you one too.